Are we recording? <laughs> oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. <laughs> Macho. Oh man, that's fancy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Like, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour. Like, you're good by the next day, as long as you had a, a sandwich and a net. Recording in progress. That's new. That's new. Yeah. I didn't know she did that. <laughs> That's uh, t- tubing proof right there. <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> That's, good. That's good. All right. So this podcast is being recorded on Zoom. So it will sound um, a little different than previous ones. So it's not your hearing or your stereo. So this this podcast would be another fairly chill episode in terms of um, listening. For people who are listening, you don't you don't have to break out your textbooks or anything to follow along. It's just uh, it's more similar to our last our last podcast, which was about how bad you want it, and just talking about a dichotomy there. This one I wanted to make it more coach centered. So, and again, I was telling the guys I always think of these topics when I'm running. Uh, Cause that's when I probably do my best thinking or have my best ideas. I really should just bring a notepad uh, with me and scribble it down. But uh, the topic today would be about um, just the, the simple, the scenario of let's just say again. So Tom, I started coaching Tom in 2013. I can't remember what month. I think it was a, a like August. It's, yeah. It was before that Optathlon, I think in October. Yeah, there we go. So, so sometime in mid 2013. So a common thing to discuss is, you know, how has Tom progressed since 2013 to now? What has he done? What does his training look like? Why is his training look like that? But what's, and I guess it's kind of what's assumed in that, in that equation of what's changed from 2013 to 2021 is what Tom has done. But I guess what's less discussed is what have I done? Or, you know, just as the coach, how have you changed from 2013 to 2021 or whatever the time frame is because the goal the goal for yourself as a coach is to help your clients um, you want to see them progress and whatnot but as a coach you should want to progress as well sometimes it'll be purposeful progressions so obviously you'll gain more clients you'll gain new clients you'll have more experience you'll you'll have so that'll that'll that will therefore give you a, a better repertoire to work with a more varied set of clients or just have more experience to base your decisions off. But some things, so that's kind of like, a, like, I don't know what you would call that. I guess like you've, you forced yourself to progress, but some things are not, uh, not your decision. Some things are outside of your decision-making that, that make you change or make you move in a different direction, see things differently. An example like that is like, for me is uh, having kids. That's not something that I pursued like learning, it's just something that happened to me. And then as a result of it having happened to me, it changes how you see the world and see things. No different than losing someone in your life, right? What that does to change your outlook on life and what you see and how you interact with people differently, maybe. But just stuff like that. Like, so how, again, just to really summarize it, over the course of your career as a coach, you will change as a person and not just change in terms of what you know. 
And I guess, what are some of those things for you? What are some of those things? For, we'll just talk about what are some of those things for us? So let's, let's start with the easy one. So what's like uh, the forced learning? Like what's something, like what are some things that you've learned uh, over your career that have actually made you change the way you do stuff and made you change the way you design training for people? And not not like just the way you view it, but made you actually change the way you do stuff. I'll go first, I guess. For me, a specific person that changed the way I view stuff is my client, Carrie, who's actually the longest client that I've had. She started with me in 2017, I want to say. And it was her going from trying to compete in CrossFit to actually getting pregnant and starting a family. And uh, prior to that point, I had only coached group fitness for either like uh, team baseball across cheerleading, even strength and conditioning for that. And then I had some individual clients, but everybody was all about competing. And I actually, to that point, had no experience really of uh, people just trying to stay healthy and fit for life and trying to find that balance. And it was actually more difficult than I anticipated because of the way that I view training and how it should be laid out as far as always trying to push that limit or improve. So yeah, that trying to slow it down. And then, you know, when I moved to Calgary, I went backwards in a sense because I went how you just said, put your time in jail where you like went to, a basic big box type gym working with regular clients. And that again, forced me to think about it even more and refine my approach back to probably a simpler way to think about programming rather than complicated. Yeah. For me, I think one of the, one of the biggest things for me, and it's, it's not totally dissimilar from Tom, but the, the first time I got a, a beginner client who was like brand new to CrossFit but who had an extensive training background prior to coming into CrossFit. So dealing with someone who had all the requisite pieces in terms of strength, but had absolutely no exposure to the sport, taking that person from a beginner to now someone who is really quite good and quite competitive in the sport. And just along that journey, learning that as this person continued to get better, they needed to be pushed more and more and more and more and more. And so they needed more work, they needed more work specifically <clears throat> for them because they had the capacity to, to handle it now that they had along that journey acquired the, the skills, the requisite skills, the volume in those skills um, to uh, continue to, to push them to, to get to a point where they could be competitive in the sport. And until that point, I had people who, who came, who competed in the sport, but not necessarily on a competitive level, but at a local level. And so the amount of work this person requires um, compared to someone like that was and is drastically different. And that's something that I really had to kind of wrap my head around. Cause even as myself, like when I was, you know, when I thought I was competitive, I didn't do that much training because the sports kind of evolved as well since the time that I was kind of in it and competing. And so just wrapping my head around the fact that this is the amount of work that this person needs, even though to me at first, it seemed like it was too much work. Um, it's what they required in order to continue to improve in the sport. That was a big learning thing for me. 
mine, the biggest one would be coming from a, a CrossFit group class background, which you learn a significant amount. Like I was thinking about that today, about every single day you see a hundred people do a workout. Like you do three or four classes and every single person in there is doing or solving the problem of the workout differently. So you get a big influx of, of how, how different people move and what is normal for so many different people. But coming from that environment into a individualized training environment and having like a little bit of a, it's not that I, it wasn't, not that I didn't do individualized programming. It was more, that was all of a sudden all it was. So trying to find ways to, to keep connection with these athletes that I would talk to every single day in the, in the gym. And then all of a sudden having athletes that I wouldn't see in person, which was mind blowing to me at the time. I just couldn't really wrap my mind about how to interact with everyone over email and videos. It doesn't, it's like a fish trying to fly that didn't work. Um, but you have to learn. So the, the amount of amount of information and communication required for remote clients and how much you can actually get across in a few minutes of a text message or a video or something like that versus seeing or what you can observe from somebody in person in just a few moments as well. It's, it just, the biggest change was learning how individual every single person is and how to individually approach somebody taking all, almost all the preconceptions out of what you think this person is and just letting them show you. And that's it. That's, that's basically where I, where I'm at right now. Yeah. Good. So let's just, I'll, I'll just start asking you a bit, a few questions. Cause I think we'll get a little bit more out of it this way, or we'll be able to get through a bit quicker. So Tom, what's in terms of a win, what's like a win that's happened for you as a coach that has, that's stuck with you and that's made you go, yeah, that was a good way to do something. This is something I had to remember to do in the future, either as a behavior or what you gave someone as a training program or just like a progression of some form, right? Like I'll just give you an example for me because I can think of it easily. I thought before I started running as my, I guess is what I was, what I, what I was training for back in 20, 2017, 2018, when I started doing that, I thought I was a pretty good runner because I actually was pretty good for CrossFit. And I thought I knew what to do with running and how to manage a running training program and, and integrating training, running into people's programs and training myself. And I, I didn't, I really, I just really didn't know how to do it. I was just doing it based on like regular, you know, regular energy system training ideas of the time of work rest. And this is what you do and progress duration, progress volume, whatever looking like looking back at it the way I've done it was because I didn't have the experience of of having engaged in it myself and the main thing was me teaching myself and truly learning that that like the polarized idea of training really works well it 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 really works and so when you see it happen so frequently and so easily with people then you're like yeah, this is something that I have to at least investigate with each person if they're going to want to get into running. It's probably a way most people need to start as a as a framework and work them into that type of training layout because I know it works and it's really good. Versus like where I think where I see it now versus where I saw it three years ago. I just, I, I wouldn't see it that way. 
or four years ago, I wouldn't see it that way. Cause I was just, was, I was just naive and I hadn't seen it work well enough and I hadn't seen it work on myself, but it was because I actually wasn't good at running, but that's something that I'll like, I'll never see it another way anymore. I don't think <laughs> not until something really changed my mind again. I don't, for me, I do find it difficult to answer the question because I constantly have this inward reflection with myself of, you know, is this the best program that I could put out for this person? And I always have this, I always have the small amount of not necessarily doubt, but I never get full of myself. And I'm always trying to think about, I'm going to have to cut this out because I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out like how to put it. I know what you're trying, I think I know what you're trying to say, but even for me, again, I've been sending people training programs every week, like basically full-time for like 12 years in a row now. Every time I send someone a program, I'm still never entirely happy with it. Like I'm never like, that was awesome. I'm still looking at it and going, I can do that better. I can, I can organize this better. I just don't know how to do it yet. And that's the whole point of this, this podcast is to go, what are those things that change you that help you see things more clearly? Okay. So we'll go to Jason. What's like something that, well, like, let's go on the other end of it. What's something. No, no, that no, that you... was good. I, I got a win. Oh, okay. <laughs> about a win. I was thinking about the entire time Thomas going, Hmm. Um, okay. Let's go. Okay. So the biggest one I think of is, is just, as weird as it, it might sound weird, but repetition and sticking to something until it gets better because CrossFit has this <clears throat> fetish of variance and I'm, I'm from that background and I like it. It's just, it doesn't always work for everybody. And in fact, it doesn't necessarily, if something is lagging behind everything else, you can't just have variance, pick it up. You have to stick with it. You have to put a focus on it and you have to build a program specifically around that one thing for a little while until it starts to move in the right direction anyways. So that, that win of being like, Hey, this is, this is something that I now know works and I'm going to keep doing it until this thing that's lagging is caught up with where it should be kind of thing. Okay. So what, again, what you're saying then is that that's something that that's an approach you would end up taking almost as a default with most people. Now, if you Starting, see certain yeah. things happen, like you'd start with that type of idea and then rule something else out after later. Yeah. If that's yeah, not working. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's what I mean by things that change you because they change your opinion. They change the way you're going to act. Scott. Um, there's lots of wins, but probably the most recent one um, would be uh, with my client, Nancy and her performance at the death race. Um, and she's a very, unusual client, I would say, I guess, in the grand scheme of clients that I work with, but yeah. we've been working together for a long time, but she's done a few, <clears throat> she's an endurance runner, obviously trail runner. And, uh, yeah. she's done several races since we've worked together. A couple that, um, she had planned to do that got canceled due to COVID or got sidelined because of injuries. So there would have been a couple more, but, um, but yeah, but the most recent one, the death race was a big win for, for her because she hit a massive PR on that race, which was awesome. And I think our approach leading up to that race was what led to that. Like, obviously she put in all the work, but our communication together was, was key in getting her there. And we just kind of changed the approach a little bit in terms of 
how we integrated the strength training with the running and how much running we actually did. Cause this was the longest race that she's ever had to do. So, yeah. So just those, those things kind of coupled together that really, I think led, to, led to that, to that performance in that race. Um, and for, mm-hmm. for me, it was relinquishing some strength work that needed to be relinquished in order for her to continue to run at the volume she needed to run at, which intuitively I knew had to happen, but I, I'd never really approached it and applied it that well before. And honestly, it was just from communication with her. How are you feeling? Do you, you know, and as we neared the, neared the race, just continue asking her how she was feeling. And if she felt like it was sufficient work, if it was too much work, because if it was too much work, she couldn't stop running. So she had to lose it on the, on the strength and conditioning side. So it really came down to strength maintenance and really nothing loaded at the end. Cause it couldn't be, cause it'd just be too much stress. And that was something that was like a big aha moment for, for me, for someone who has to run that, that much in order to get ready for a race. So that was a, that was a big win, <clears throat> but kind of before I, before we carry on, just touching on Jason's point a little bit, just about being patient <clears throat> and not changing something for the sake of variance. I think um, a life event for me that allowed me to adopt that would be obviously becoming a parent as you guys know I have kids but homeschooling my daughter has taught me great patience and not only that but the the idea that just because I understand something and I get something doesn't mean that how I explain it the first time is going to sink through to somebody it might and those people might end up for example if I'm teaching a client a skill some people are just really skillful. Tom, you're one of those people. So if I'm like, this is how I want you to do the toes of burn. I hop up and I do it. You're going to figure it out within like three or four attempts. But me as a coach, having the patience to know that not everyone is like you has aided me significantly in my coaching endeavor and just being patient with people and changing my approach. If it needs to be changed, changing my cueing, if it needs to be changed. Whereas before I'd be like, I don't really know. I don't understand why you're not getting it because I get it. And like, I'm just explaining how I do it. You know what I mean? But it's the fact that people learn in different ways and homeschooling. My daughter has taught me that more than anything. And I've been able to apply that to my coaching practice, which has been like hugely, hugely beneficial. Yeah. It's it's interesting on that point, right? Because you think of how kids would behave. And if you're asking, probably asking your daughter to do something and she doesn't get it, she'll tell you right away, or she'll make and make you know right away she doesn't understand what you're talking about or you didn't explain it to her well enough and you need to do it again but a lot of times there's that tension with adults when you have that 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 type of relationship and and they feel like they're burdening you or they failed because they're not understanding what you're asking them mm-hmm. and so they just don't ask you for help and they just keep on doing it the wrong way because they're like well I don't want to embarrass myself by saying I don't know how to do this or I don't want you know I don't want to bother him because I don't want him to have to spend more time helping me or, you know, that, that could easily creep up for someone depending on their personality and what their perception of things are. And it's just with kids that doesn't exist. (laughs) That's not a thing that exists, right? They'll just, they'll just do whatever they want to do and that's it. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, uh, I thought of an example now after like the other two guys went, it became easier, but with Jocelyn, like her recent attempt at Amanda and, uh, her ability on ring muscle ups is like being improved. I'm just thinking about the win of always trying to improve somebody's confidence in movements or workouts. The fact that 
you know, I didn't give her any specific instructions with doing Amanda in her attempt. She immediately tried to go for the ring muscle ups, only ever really doing like sets of two and three. And she did seven on her first set of nine. And I always am trying to think of ways to show people without telling them that they can do certain things. Yeah. Um, I think like an, un an underlying bigger, bigger theme to what you're talking about, Tom, is uh, in terms of, again, learning as a coach is when, when you, as a coach, when you fully come to understand how important, again, we've used this term before, but how important self-efficacy is for people, you can just call it confidence for to understand it, but how vital that is to someone's success Um and once you truly appreciate that that is a more important thing than even the details you write in the program as to how you're going to nurture that and help people feel more confident in their ability and confident in what they're doing. And you can't take that for granted. It's like, when did you learn that? And when did you come to think that way? When did you go? It's really important for her to feel a certain way when she competes and for her to believe she can do it as opposed to, we need to get 63 handstand pushups into this workout. Like yeah. that type of thinking, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like once you start reorient, reorienting the, your worldview to that, to a, an athlete centered view of program design, that's a, that's a whole shift and change in, in how it's a C, that's a C change, what they would call, right? Because mm -hmm. that, that fundamentally changes what you do. And as a, as a novice coach, a lot of people, uh, whether or not they know that or not, the, the, the program design is coach centered because they're designing things based on what they think work and they're designing things based on their bias entirely. And they're designing things based on what's convenient for them to write down and what they like writing and what they're used to writing. And they make themselves believe that that's probably good for the client when it might be good for the client, but it's not best for the client, but it's because they're not thinking about it in that for them. They're thinking about it from their system and their program that they're used to writing down and they've learned because they're novice coaches and they don't know any different. So they're just trying to make sense of all these variables and trying to keep them all together. But over time, something will change you and you'll go, this isn't right. Like writing it this way is okay, but it's not optimal. And I know it's not optimal. And what is it that changes people uh, or moves people into that direction? And it's just some people it's like over time, some people might be sudden, some people might be a mentor to help you do that. Um, but like for myself, I just know that just like a couple of my, like in terms, not so much wins, but in terms of education, things or learning things that have really changed me is that type of thing is like, I remember way back in university, just thinking or learning about like, it's just really fundamental stuff where like in coming from a small town and not knowing much and being a terrible student in school to then going to university and not really understanding the difference between someone's opinion and fact, not knowing the difference between that being like, Oh, well, this is what this coach said. And that's true. Then thinking Charles Poliquin or whatever at the time back in like when I was 18, 19 years old, and not really understanding the difference in that and scientific facts of like how things work, how things adapt, not just his opinion and like just real basic stuff like that going, oh yeah. So that's just what he thinks 
works. That's not what actually works. That's what he thinks works. Okay, so that's like a, a massive thing to, to, to pull, off your, pull off your eyes to then you can start seeing things differently. Another, for me, another really important one is just the concept of what I'm kind of getting at there with program design in term is basically the periodization concept and thinking that not even thinking, but believing that you know how these loading parameters and these layouts you're giving them are going to lead, or you know what the predictable outcome is going to be, and you don't. So where I'm at now with it is I know I, I just don't even think about it that way at all. But having the first inclination that, you know what, most of these things I'm reading about, it's just people's beliefs. They're just, it's just their, they have faith that this works and that's it. That, that they just think that this is the way to do it. But it's because everyone wants to gravitate towards a solution, right? They want a solution to like, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to do it this way. Here's our three-step plan as to how do you do it? Or here's our six-month plan. And you go, yeah, that's for some things, I get the idea of it. But if you're trying to tell me that that's optimal for that person, you're lying to yourself and you've tricked your client too. So I guess it works because they trust you and that's what's important. But getting to a point and understanding over time and seeing it happen in clients, that completely changes the way you think of training and the way you think of giving people programs. And that's where I'm at. I'm like Mr. Jaded coach now. But that just, that's just the way I am. And that took a long time to get there. But that's like from where I was in 2013 with Tom to where I am now is not the same. Although the, the workouts might not look much different, really. I guess the way you would think they'd be laid out, they're still organized, kind of similar. But who I am is nowhere near the same. Here's a good one. So what's something like, what's a scenario for Tom or Scott, whoever you can jump in? What's like... uh where you screwed up you made a mistake perfect um, time for me to leave All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like what's the scenario where you made a mistake or you screwed up this, this is on me but this is something that sticks with you i can take that one first aside from making a typo or something like that where clients <laughs> like you want me to do 30 rounds They're like no no not 30 rounds. no but in all seriousness i think the one of the things that and i thought about this earlier just kind of as we hit record was, and it kind of ties into becoming a parent, but I wasn't a parent. Well, I was a parent at the time, but I wasn't a parent that was so constrained by time that it really affected things that much. When I had a client early on that said, <clears throat> I only have this amount of time to train. We need to condense my training. And so I did what I thought was appropriate in condensing the training, not fully understanding how long it took this individual to get through the training. So going back to what you had said earlier, Mike, about just having some, how, how long it takes certain clients to get through workouts. I had never had to constrain my training like that. So for me to know how to do it appropriately was, was challenging for me and I didn't do it in the right way. And they ended up missing work multiple times throughout the week because the workouts were just too long. Despite the fact that they told me they were too long, I just didn't know how to appropriately shorten them. And now as a parent of two kids where my time is constrained and my ability to work out is constrained because work is busy and parenting life is busy. I now understand how long it takes to get a certain amount of work done, especially if you're trying to accomplish certain things, certain things take longer than other things. And so I know how to organize that. I would say quite well across a variety of different clients, independent of what their goals are. 
And so that's one thing that I feel I, I made a mistake on in the past, but life events have kind of shown me how to adjust that caring forward. Uh, for me, like, I think anytime someone gets hurt, even though it may not necessarily be entirely your fault, but you sometimes feel this, uh, you, you sometimes feel like it is like, did I miss the signs? Was I not listening to this person? A client recently hurt their shoulder and, you know, it may have been partly that something was already going on there, but you automatically think like, did I push them too far? Was it me that was not listening effectively enough in that scenario? Yeah. Interesting. I think for myself and Scott, we could have uh, an interesting discussion on this one and Jason, but he left in terms of losses. Think about how becoming less fit Scott has affected the way you design training for people and the way you understand what maintenance means for people. So I'm way less fit than I used to be. I'm just a really good runner, but my understanding of what it means to maintain your fitness. And when someone says, I just want to be fit, I have a whole new idea really of what that actually means because it, it and it, and it doesn't involve snatch and clean and jerk whatsoever. Whereas before I would find it hard to not do that even though people would say like, you know, I don't, I don't really care so much about this. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, but they probably do. And now that I don't care about it, I really understand what they mean when they say don't, they don't care about it. Cause I don't even think about doing it. Like, I'm just like, I'll do it because I want to practice it again and play with it, but I have zero urge to do it. All I want to do is run. That's it. I just want to, I have to run later today. I'm look, I'm, I'm thinking about it already, what I got to do and how I'm going to do it. And when I think about non-running training for people, my clients I have like that, they really don't care. They're, they're, they don't care about that stuff. They're like, I just want to not get hurt running. Uh, and I want to be, you know, somewhat fit, but, um, if, if they have no real purpose in CrossFit stuff, you you just go, it doesn't really matter to them. They really don't care. So you can really design the training with a different mindset entirely. And a lot of that happened. Like, I guess a good example is that when COVID first started and you kind of had to do stuff like that because people didn't have as much, but then it just opens you up to go, yeah, this is, there's a lot of better ways to write this for people to work out in which my brother preaches about all the time, just talking about how to write workouts for a long time. Now it's different because he's 30 years older than me. So he understands, but you know, I, I've, I understand that mindset as well and going clients I have, they don't care about that at all. So why would I, why am I infusing my belief and ideology of CrossFit and weightlifting onto them? Because they're going to, they're going to listen to me because they trust and respect me, but I'm failing them by doing that. And just, and all from myself going through that process of not being as fit anymore and changing the way I changing things I want really helped me understand people like that. There are people like that though, that do want to be healthy and fit. So one second, we're, the thing's going to shut down, but I think we should keep going. That was, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So zoom failed on us. So Tom Scott's going to do his best to try to, well, you also had to remember Scott, that last little bit wasn't recorded since, since we, since I first called you, it, it wasn't recorded. So the last thing we left off on was me talking about uh, basically being less fit and what that's done for my perception of understanding people who don't really want to do CrossFit stuff at all. Right. Yeah. So you, you just, you had made a point about people who, who want to be healthy and fit and the, 
the purpose of putting in something like snatch and clean and jerk when they clearly don't need to do snatch and clean and jerk because it doesn't align with their their overall goals, which are very they're very broad goals. But you get you know what you know exactly what they're talking about. I agree with you on that front. My my only thing that I was trying to relay before we got cut off there was if they do in fact enjoy those things, even though they may not necessarily be crucial to their programming, it's okay to put them in and how you put them in obviously is going to look different for those people than it would for someone who's competing in CrossFit. Obviously like they're not going to be going for snatch one rep maxes and clean and jerk singles and, and whatnot. But if they do get enjoyment out of those movements and that style of working out, it's okay to put those in there for the sheer enjoyment of, of their programming. Because if they're enjoying the programming, they're going to be more successful with it. And they're probably going to stick with it long-term. And at the end of the day with those people, they want to be doing this for a long time. So there are ways to incorporate some of those things, even though they may not be specific to their goals, if it does bring them enjoyment, that's all I was trying to get across. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's another, it ties back to the example I was giving of, of novice coaches and the way they write programs and they think of training even though they don't mean to, they think the way they do it is from a coach centered standpoint where the coach knows everything and the coach writes everything and the coach writes, you know, kind of what's right for the client, but they write what they want to write, so to speak. And they write what they're comfortable writing and they write what the system has like a system they're used to writing. And that's what they do. But what you're talking about there, Scott is another fundamental thing, which I think most coaches come to is when you understand that similar to what I was saying with self-efficacy along the same lines, you understand how fundamental it is to have people be motivated to train mm-hmm. and to do the training that they, they want to do, but then also going, how can you create, especially when you're talking about, I guess, people who are, you know, not, not really, really a top end like competitors. And that's not what they're doing. They're people who just like training in general and want to be fit and they can be all different levels of ability. But what you're saying is once you expose them to new things and they learn new things and you know, whether or not they should is like, is a different question, but if they learn it and that helps them or makes them basically it like, it kind of pulls them along to become more motivated and want to engage in better habits and be healthier because now they like things even more that that's a, that's a really important aspect of training that is, that is separate from program design. And it's more about understanding the value of motivation and what it actually does for people. I was making a point too, to Scott before we got cut off there and you got kicked out. But when I said, uh, I said to Scott that when I was talking about the mistake that I've made of pushing people too far is that, they want to do those things or they know how to already, or you teach them new things. And because they're motivated, you, I have gotten carried away in how far I've pushed them trying to do those things, even though it's against my better judgment of, you know, that they probably shouldn't be working so much on snatching or clean and jerk, et cetera, but they tell me they want to, and that they enjoy it. And, um, trying to find that balance for each individual of what their definition of and how they view themselves of like being fit. Yeah. On that, on that topic, um, Tom, about, you know, people wanting to really, really pushing for something and really wanting something. And then you kind of pushing them along, even though in the back of your mind, your greater judgment is telling you they probably shouldn't. 
one thing I've, I've really been attuned to over this, well, ever, honestly, ever since COVID and people had to like take a hiatus and then get back into training. Like you see a lot of people or maybe you don't, but I, I I've seen a fair number of people come in recently who have had disruptions in their training from COVID who have had a huge hiatus. They're now just kind of getting back into it. Um, but when I sit down and talk with them either via, you know, FaceTime, Zoom, whatever, or in person, I use, I try and use that time to really kind of understand what kind of personality type they are. Cause if mm-hmm. they're a person who comes from like a competitive background or maybe not even competitive, but like a competitive environment, like CrossFit gym, and now they're not training at that gym, but they have that attitude of, I used to be good. <clears throat> I want to get back into it. This is what I used to be able to do. For me, what I've done is I've really kind of <clears throat> explained to them, okay, so this is where you used to be. This is where you've come from. Like I can tell you're a competitive person, but this is how we're going to approach it initially, because if we don't, you're going to get hurt. And just having that conversation or the likelihood of you getting hurt is increased drastically. And just having that conversation with people as assuming I peg them, right. They're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like I'm obviously here for a reason. Like I I trust that, you know, you're going to be able to tell me what to do. Yeah. And so what that looks like for me is like, we're going to just do a really slow reintroduction and it's going to take, you know, three weeks initially. And we'll reassess at the end of three weeks, kind of see where you're at, how you're feeling, how the volume is, and then either uptake it a little bit or keep it the same or back it off if we need to. And then that's, I feel like that's been a really good way to kind of reintroduce someone who's had a a long hiatus from training back into training, or even someone who not necessarily has a, a, has had a hiatus from training, but just has that mentality of I can do more. I need to do more and just kind of pull them back on the reins a little bit. Now there obviously there's certain circumstances where people are like, no, I've been training consistently for a long time and I know I can handle it. And they know themselves really well, but that's a very small percentage of population, I think, especially if if the person isn't like a competitive athlete who's super in tune with themselves, I have had clients in the past who are like, no, I can do more. I can do more. And I've kind of slowly ramped it up and really in hindsight, they probably could have ramped it up faster than that. But more often than not, I would say I have people that are like, yeah, let's get it going. You know, I'm really super amped up. I'm excited. And you got to really pull back on the reins with those people. Yeah. Thinking of it too. Cause sometimes if they come from that competitive environment and you're saying, I want to slow it down, they sometimes will complain to you. And I still, get complaints at times that like, Oh, this is, you know, this is kind of boring here and on these days, et cetera. But yeah, you're trying to tell them like, no, it has to be a little bit boring or dialed down on these days. And then these, you know, other days of training areas where you can push it. That's why it's hard Mm -hmm. um, because you're trying to keep that engagement or that interest, but doing also what's best for them. Yeah. Yeah. And not being married to an idea you know, too pig headed to be like, no, I'm not going to change it. Cause this is what's best for you. Cause again, it goes back to that. They have to be enjoying it as well. Right. Like yeah. this is boring. It's like, yeah, I know, but it's effective. Can we do it a different way? Yeah, we probably could. Instead of being like, nah, let's just finish the progression. Cause that's what I had planned. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Good. Mike, what say you? Are we still on the losses category? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of, <laughs> I think we kind of derailed it. I don't know where off on a bit of a um, tangent there. Just to, yeah, so like the three things I'd written down, the kind of topics I wanted to cover, uh, wins, losses, and then just general education, like learning things. So I already talked about like a simple type of win, which was learning about running and learning how 
that really works and learning how to help people with that. And I've seen it happen lots and lots. And just like most recently, obviously we, it played out well for someone like Alex Parker. She did her marathon and she basically snatched 95% of her best ever within two weeks of that marathon, which is, that's just a really cool little thing to have, have done that, which is, it's just really good. Um, yeah, she's an impressive athlete, right? And loss is one of my, my favorite ones. Cause then I say it's favorite cause it's really good that it happened to me it was in 2012, actually the same, no, at 2012 and then 2013, those two years, uh, at the regional, no, it was 2012. Cause yeah, it happened to me too. So the 2012 regional, uh, I had this really, really fit client and I probably shouldn't have even had him cause I didn't understand things well enough at the time. His name was Alex Nettie. He's a really, he was a really good guy. Uh, and he competed, competed in the North central region and he was, uh, he lived in Chicago. Anyway, at the time, I think I'd been working with him for probably three years. And in like 20, 2000, 2011, he missed qualifying by, uh, like one or 2010, 2010, I think he missed qualifying out of a, out of a regional, like by one spot. And then the same thing in 2011, I think he missed by like one or two spots. And then in 2012, I think he missed by four or five spots. He probably think he finished like seventh or eighth and like top three went. And it was mainly because of maybe not mainly, but to what I remember, it's mainly because of uh, the first workout, which was handstand pushups and kipping or, and, uh, and deadlifts. It was Diane. And he just wasn't good enough at kipping handstand pushups because we never really worked on him enough. And that was like, that was like in a time where I just like, I just didn't adapt I didn't adapt to the sport well enough into how fast it was, uh, how fast it was progressing in terms of where I was and, and really understanding that I wasn't anywhere near the top of the sport where I was in 2009 and just really under, really understanding that and going, you know what, I'm like, I, I'm not helping this guy or I haven't, I didn't help him in the way I should have if I was attentive enough to how the progression of the sport was happening and where things were going and what he needed uh, to compete in a sport, not just for me to send him sound program design, if you know what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't, hel- I wasn't helping him be better at the sport. I was sending him good workouts and good training programs based on good principles that didn't help him because it wasn't sport focused. And he fired me, which he should have, because he should have left, because uh, I think I was holding him back at that time because he should have qualified that year. He was as fit as anybody there and he just didn't qualify. And I can't say it's just all my fault, but I take a large amount of responsibility on that because I should have given him different stuff to do. But that was a really important wake up call for me because then I had a lot of my best, not of my best years, but a lot of my best progression in coaching came in the years following that and truly understanding what this sport is and what, and what really motivated people want to achieve and what they're looking for. They're not do like they didn't, they didn't look at training just like it was cool. They love training, but they really wanted to succeed and working with people with that type of mindset is different than working with people who want to get better at back squats and want to want to PR their snatch, like working with people who want to succeed and will do anything is a different type of beast. And I mean, and kind of being forced to confront that was, it was a really big wake up call for me. And it was a really good one. And so just to summarize, is that your, your biggest loss and also your thing you learned or the thing you learned is something different? Um, in terms of my, in terms of my coaching, 
like yeah. uh, of a coaching loss. Yeah, for sure. Like just having, having screwed that up was, was both like, that's my fault, but I also, it was a really important thing for me to, to learn um, just from a client. Right. And, but I have still, I still have little things along the way where I screw up and I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. I know I shouldn't have done that. Or I second guess myself on it. Um, and a, a recent example is related to Alex Parker, who's just finished her marathon. And, um, and this is another place where I'm at is that like prior, I would maybe not mention it to her like years ago, but now I'm, I'm, I'm very confident in myself and very, I'm very um, confident in who I am. So I just tell her my mistake. I just tell her where I made a mistake or where I think I made a mistake. Um, and she just goes, you know, you know, it might've been that, but it might've been something else. So I don't really know. I, I don't worry about it. And, um, but I did worry about it. I was like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have given her that. I shouldn't. And what it was is that she did a 5k time trial, which I wanted her to do without having trained for it. Cause I wanted her to see how much better of a runner she was just to give her some more confidence leading into her marathon. And she, she PR'd it and which was great for her. So like, she's not training for it. And she set a personal best in the 5k, which is great. But then I should have the next run I, I gave her, which was happening. I thought it'd be okay. It was three days later was, was a run at race pace. It's not fast, but it was at race pace and it was a little bit longer. And I should have, I should have just made it an easier run. So that's like a little, a little type of loss that I look back on. I go, I, she probably like, I, we could have had that lead into her marathon be a little better. And that's partially my fault, I think, but that I, I can't know for sure. Cause we haven't really dug down deep as to what happened, but long story short, it all worked out well, but that's something I would look at and go like on a, on a small scale going, I screwed that up. And I, I that that's a, that was kind of a, a, a near miss that I need to remember. And then like the big ones for me in terms of education, like I mentioned earlier with the program design stuff and just reading and learning from people that just don't think of program design or periodization in the traditional sense of things, which was like, I started, I don't know who I started reading about with that, but the best example, and I would, and I would recommend people read why can't it, or John Keeley would be the best person to read on that guaranteed. And then just the, the stuff we've talked about in our podcast, but things that have been brewing in my head for years that I just didn't really get uh, and truly understanding what, uh, what, for example, critical power and the power duration relationship are and what intensity domains are. Understanding what those things are fundamentally changes how you write interval training and write like specifically, right? Or how I write rowing sessions or biking sessions or whatever. Like I just think of it differently. And understanding the impact of motivation and perception of effort on people's performance mm -hmm. and how that all ties in together with the power duration stuff. And, but understanding all of those things make me write things differently. And if I was to go back, you know, five, six years ago, I'm, I, I would probably, again, I'm not writing things way differently, but why I'm writing them a certain way now make more sense to me. It's been helpful for myself as well. I'm thankful that you make us read these articles. I really wouldn't have thought to even pursue them out. A lot of the times the subject matter that we discussed. Yeah, no, it's, it's good, right? When, when you learn something that's really important, it'll change the way you do stuff. Right. And like I said, it's either you're going to, you're going to learn it by pursuing it or life's going to teach it to you. And either way, 
if it makes you change things fundamentally, then that, that was a really good learning experience. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked the episode and know someone else that will, please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to optimumperformancecalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.